Previously, in Series 7 of Hornet Heaven. I hate 1977. The most important thing at a football club is the owner's vision, and Elton John has none. And yet it's hard to imagine how things could actually get worse for our beloved club. Right, the turnstile now takes us to football that was happening 96 years before the date on the programme. It's a double whammy. The club's malfunctioning down there, and Hornet Evans malfunctioning up here. What if 1977-78 is the start of something big? If the turnstile ain't fixed, we'll miss it. There. I think I finally fixed the turnstile. I've got programmes for Liverpool at home, in the FA Cup, in 1970. What have you done, Henry William? This match isn't in Watford's history. What in heaven's name is going on? Hornet Heaven, Series 7, Episode 4. How Wonderful Life Is. Written by Ollie Wickham, read by Colin Mace. Earth Season, 1976-77. Clutching their programmes from the 1970 FA Cup tie at home to Liverpool, Henry Grover, the alderman, Derek Garston and Fred Pagnum stared down from the main stand. I don't understand what we're watching. We've never worn this kit before. Red shorts. My word. Look, there's a giant scoreboard at the Vicarage Road end. It says Watford are playing Liverpool. Red shorts. I'm in love. What's going on? There are seats in front of the main stand and the Shrodells. Red shorts. Divine. For goodness sake, shut up about the shorts, Henry William. The turnstile is still malfunctioning. We need to work out what's going on. As Watford kicked off against Liverpool in glorious sunshine, the visitors from Hornet Heaven saw that a fan in the land of the living was holding a programme. They went over to take a look. Paggy got there first. On the front cover was a photograph of Watford players wearing England kit. Paggy said, Watford players? Playing for England? This is mad! Paggy remembered what he'd said at the Hertfordshire Rangers game earlier, that he'd love to see a Watford player in an England shirt. It's like a dream come true, Derek asked. Can you see a date on the programme, Mr Pagnum, sir? It says Saturday 14th of May. Today's date. But what year does it say, Mr Pagnum, sir? 1983. 1983? Oh, my God, Mr Pagnum, sir. That means we're six years into the future. First the turnstile took us way back into the past, and now it's brought us here. 
We're seeing the future, Mr. Pagnum, sir. Don't be silly, child. That would break the laws of time and space. This can't be the future. Hang on. Here's something else the programme says. Football League Division One. Plummy neck. We're playing at the highest level. No, that's out of the question. Look over there. Steve Sherwood is in goal. How could a £3,000 Division 4 goalkeeper possibly play in goal for Watford in Division 1? Fair dues. He couldn't. Also, one of the players in the England kit on the programme cover looks like that Luther Blissett kid who can't get in our Division 4 team. Never gonna happen. The alderman peered towards the front of the stand. Ah, ah! And if you want the ultimate proof that this isn't real, you only have to look down there in the director's box. Paggy and Derek turned and saw Elton John. For what we're seeing to be true, Watford would need to have been promoted three times in five years with a pop star in charge. Ha! It simply isn't possible. Oh, then how do you explain where we are then, Your Worshipfulness, sir? I'm not sure. Paggy said it was like a dream come true, so all I can think is that I'm watching someone's ridiculous fantasy. The alderman turned to see Henry still gazing out at the pitch. Red shorts! And I suspect that tells us whose ridiculous fantasy it is. The following 90 minutes were incredible. Luther Blissett's goal meant that, according to a fan in the real-world crowd, he'd finished the season as top scorer in Division 1. And in the end, Watford beat Liverpool, the champions, 2-1. But all this was literally incredible for the visitors from Hornet Heaven. When the final whistle blew and the Vicarage Road crowd erupted with sheer joy, the visitors from Hornet Heaven weren't happy at all. What they witnessed was so unlikely to be true that they felt despondent. It only emphasised what a shambles of a club Watford was in 1977. Oh, well. Shame it'll never happen. It's not fair. I thought fantasies were meant to inspire you. Not depress you, Mr Pagnum, sir. Now they saw Elton John walking onto the sunlit pitch to congratulate the players. The alderman said, Hmm, hmm. Watford Football Club in Division 1 under Elton John is so ludicrous, it's like a fantasy having its own fantasy. Well, I've decided it can't be my fantasy. Look, Elton's in a plain suit, topped off with a Stetson. If it was anything to do with me, he'd probably be in a leopard-skin leotard. 
The four of them were just about to leave when suddenly there was a new outbreak of cheering around the ground. A nearby fan shouted, They've said on the radio, We're runners up! We're in Europe! Derek held up his hands and said, Sorry, everyone. Must have been my fantasy all along. I blame Sokarama. <laughs> Sorry. The Hornet Heaven contingent shook their heads sadly and trudged back to the ancient turnstile. When they arrived back on Occupation Road, the alderman and Henry retired to the supporters' club bar, while Derek and Paggy returned to the programme hut. Inside the hut, Derek walked straight up to the table and swept the Socorama board game onto the floor with surprising force. I'm never playing that game again, Mr Pagnum, sir. It lured me into a foolish fantasy. Division four clubs don't reach Europe in six seasons, Mr Pagnum, sir. He sat down and stared at the empty table, upset. A moment later, Freddy Sargent entered. Freddy asked, Well, is the turnstile working properly? Paggy explained to Freddy everything they'd seen. Oh, gold. Hornet heaven's still broken. It was awful, Mr Sargent, sir. Until I actually witnessed it, I didn't realise how totally implausible my fantasy was. It was ridiculous. Steve Sherwood was playing in Division 1, Mr Sergeant, sir. I mean, he's a safe pair of hands, but... A look of great enlightenment flashed across Freddy Sergeant's face. What, Mr Sergeant, sir? What did I say? A safe pair of hands. That's the answer. Freddy dashed away, excited. At last, he'd be able to make good the damage he'd caused. Henry and the alderman sat in the subterranean supporters' club bar. A small band was playing an instrumental version of Rocket Man. Jack Grant was at the piano. Jack Grant's teammate from 1900, Jack Cother, was on bass. Freddie Sargent's brother and teammate from the 1880s, Alf Sargent, was on drums. And Freddie's other brother, Alex Sargent, was on sync. For crying out loud, can a former chairman not get some peace and quiet when he's trying to have a conversation? That's better. The recent trip through the ancient turnstile seemed to have triggered the alderman. He wasn't happy. As I was saying, Henry William, the thing that really proved it was a fantasy was the presence of Elton John. Not in a million years let alone six, could Elton John become the club's most successful benefactor? No need to go on, old thing. I've already told you I want him out. 
after I read his concert programme. Remember? The man's incompetent. If a thirteen-year-old child like Derek can have a vision of what they want Watford to achieve, why can't Elton John? He's never given any indication at all that he has a vision for Watford Football Club. But what kind of thing are you expecting to see? I expect to see a precisely stated ten-year objective for progressing the organisation towards a clearly envisioned future, with a fully-costed business plan attached. Ah, do you? To be fair, old chap, that doesn't sound the way a creative artist like Elton would express himself. Creative artist? You make it sound as if someone could communicate a vision for a football club through a painting. Don't be ridiculous. Once again, Henry didn't feel comfortable that his old friend had such extreme antipathy towards Elton John. He wondered if there was a way to soften the alderman's views. He said, I say, Aldy, do you remember how, when you brought Johnny Allgood to the club in 1903, it was because you wanted to reach for the stars? Of course I do. It was a mark of my own vision to hire the country's best-known footballer as our first-ever manager. Exactly. You believed a household name like Johnny could lead the club towards football stratosphere. But here's the thing. Isn't the club hoping for exactly the same now, but with someone else as the household name? Are you talking about the rumour that Bobby Moore is going to be our next manager? That would be a disastrous appointment. No. I'm saying the chairman himself is a household name. In time, Elton John could be the man to propel Watford Football Club on that journey to the stars. In time, he could be our rocket man. Hmm. <laughs> I think it's going to be a long, long time. Ha! <laughs> very good. Eh? What's very good? Henry sat quietly for a while and tried to work out why the alderman was quite so vehemently against Elton John. He remembered the alderman had also been critical of the previous chairman, Jim Bonza. It was as if Alderman Ralph Thorpe had some kind of need to denigrate anyone who followed in his footsteps at the club. Henry said, Listen, old chap, I really don't understand why you're so against Elton John. Isn't it obvious? Because he knows nothing about how to run a football club. But it seems as though there's more to it than that, old chap. You don't like his music? His clothing? His sexuality? It's all disgusting. But this is 1977. If you criticise him over that, it makes me wonder... Wonder what? What you're afraid of, old thing. Well, if you think I'm scared of revealing that I'm a homosexualist, you're wrong. Then are you afraid of something else? I just don't understand why you're always talking him down. The alderman fell silent for a while. 
You can tell me, old thing. The alderman looked at his old friend. He seemed to shrink a little inside his robes as he contemplated revealing something he hadn't admitted to anyone else. All right. Yes. I am afraid. Afraid of... Go on, old son. I'm afraid of... not being the greatest benefactor in the club's history anymore. Henry nodded his understanding. The alderman avoided eye contact as he continued. Down on earth, all my adult life, I was an important man. In commerce, at the club, and in the town. In Hornet Heaven, I'm still important, but only because no one else has yet had the impact on the club that I had. When someone does come along and transform the club, I'll be a nobody. That's what I'm afraid of. Everyone will forget Alderman Ralph Thorpe. But the club does need someone else to turn it around. I know. But it's very hard to let go of who I am and root for someone to become the new me. I understand. Especially if the new you is wearing pink platform shoes. The alderman gave a gentle laugh at Elton John, but also at himself. Now that he'd admitted his fear, he was regaining his sense of humour and humility. He looked back at Henry and said, For almost fifty years, I've flattered myself that I'm the biggest name in Hornet Heaven. But I need to be bigger than that. The alderman sat silently for a few seconds. Then he said with new resolve, What I need to do is accept that Elton John could become Watford's greatest benefactor of all time. Henry nodded approvingly. The alderman lifted his robes and stood up. He said, even louder, Positively want Elton John to become Watford's greatest benefactor of all time. The alderman clenched a fist and raised it. Spread the word that Elton John will become Watford's. The alderman sat down again. No, I can't do it. A while later, Henry and the alderman walked up the steps from the supporters' club bar onto Occupation Road. I'm sorry, Henry, but I just can't come to terms with wanting Elton John to succeed. My vision for the future simply doesn't include a chairman who's a frilly-knickered exhibitionist. They stepped out into the eternal sunshine of Occupation Road and looked down the slope. They saw Freddy Sargent supervising a new attempt to repair the ancient turnstile. There was a new pair of legs extending out from under the mechanism. They went to take a look. Henry said, Hello, Freddy. Who have you got under there? It's taken a while. 
but at last I've found a man I can trust. Henry and the alderman saw two huge hands grab the bottom rung of the turnstile and a man in a large flat cap slide himself out. It was Watford's pre-war goalkeeper, Skilly Williams. Ah, of course, the safest hands in Hornet Heaven. Exactly. I should have thought to get a goalkeeper on the job first time around. To be fair, Freddy, you did. Neil McBain played in goal for New Brighton. Ha! It was only the once, and he let in three. He was as useless at goalkeeping as at everything else. Skilly Williams said, Anyway, Henry, what's been going on with this turnstile? Freddy told me you all ended up in Derek's fantasy or something. Yes, but I don't know how. Have you worked it out, Alderman? No. It was as inexplicable as Elton John's dress sense. Freddy said, Well, Paggy said the reason you saw Derek's fantasy was probably because Derek was the one carrying the programmes when you went through the turnstile. Suddenly a thought flashed across the alderman's mind. He said, You mean if I'd been carrying the programmes it would have been my fantasy? I don't know. You'd have to ask Paggy. Hey, where are you going? I say, old top, what are you doing? The alderman was running across Occupation Road to the programme hut. He'd realised that the turnstile would let him see his own vision of Watford's future without Elton John. Stop fixing the turnstile! I'll be back in a moment! The alderman, carrying the same 1970 Liverpool FA Cup programme as before, passed through the ancient turnstile. He couldn't wait to see his own fantasy. His vision was of a Watford that had developed fully as a club and a business, on and off the field. And the man responsible definitely wouldn't be Elton John. When he arrived on the other side... He had to stop to get his bearings. He was behind a stand, but it didn't look anything like the 1977 main stand at Vicarage Road. He wasn't sure he was at Vicarage Road at all. He went down some steps and found himself in a busy bar area full of Watford fans. Some were wearing Watford shirts he'd never seen before. One of the yellow shirts had horizontal black stripes of differing widths. The alderman was pretty sure Henry Grover wouldn't have allowed such a rum design in his fantasy. He walked on towards a large opening at ground level. Beyond it, he could see an astonishingly green pitch in front of a two-tier stand with an undulating roof. He smiled and congratulated himself on his vision. Outstanding work, Alderman. Outstanding work. He kept walking and entered the arena at pitch level. He gasped as he saw stands on every side of the ground. An all-seater stadium. I'm a genius. A real-world fan was at the front of the stand holding a programme. 
the alderman went up to her and took a look at the front cover of the programme. It told him he was at Watford versus Liverpool on December the 20th, 2015. The alderman said to himself, Ha! The Space Age! Well, it certainly looks a different planet from Watford in 1977. Awestruck by his surroundings, he stepped over an advertising hoarding and made his way onto the pristine pitch. The teams were coming out of the tunnel. He looked at Watford's goalkeeper, Aurelio Gomez, and muttered to himself, If that's still Steve Sherwood, he's lost a heck of a lot of hair. The tannoy was blaring out music, and the stands were full of noise, colour and movement. The alderman was thrilled with his vision, especially because there was a director's box in the two-tiered stand in which he could see no sign of Elton John. It felt to the alderman like conclusive proof that Watford Football Club had an amazing future without the involvement of a strange little man pretending not to be Reginald Dwight from Pinner, a man whose only contribution to British life was polluting it with vulgar music and tawdry fashion. In his red fur-trimmed robes, the alderman arrived in the centre circle, the perfect place for viewing the magnificence of the stadium. It was so greatly changed from 1977 that he still couldn't tell whether Watford had moved to an entirely new stadium or whether this was Vicarage Road. He looked for clues. First, he looked up at the two-tier stand. He noticed a sign saying, The Graham Taylor Stand. He had no idea who this Graham Taylor was. Then he looked at the stand opposite, on the side he'd come in. On the back wall, in flowing script, were what he guessed, from the phrasing of the words, were lyrics from a song. He didn't recognise them. He cast his gaze upwards. Now he saw something meaningful. On the front of the roof, in the middle, it said, Watford Football Club, in yellow lettering. The sight did his heart good. Next, he moved his gaze slightly to the right. Suddenly he gasped. He thought he was going to choke. On the front of the roof, also in yellow lettering, it said, The Sir Elton John Stand. The alderman stared in disbelief. This was supposed to be his fantasy. Elton John was meant to have nothing to do with any of this magnificence. He certainly shouldn't have a stand named in his honour. And it wasn't just that. There was a particular word up there that the alderman just couldn't process in connection with Elton John. The word, Sir. Sir Elton John. Sir. The alderman stood in the centre circle in shock. He looked down at his robes and mayoral chain. His own title was Alderman. He was an important man, a serious man, 
but he'd never received an honour. Not even an OBE, let alone a knighthood. He stared back up at the word, Sir, and, for the first time he could remember, felt truly humbled. His subconscious fantasy must be informing him that he'd always misjudged Elton John. Completely. Horribly. If Elton John, even in a fantasy, was the kind of person who could become a knight of the British Empire, then Elton John deserved the eternal respect of an alderman. When the alderman returned to Occupation Road, Freddy Sargent asked, Can Skilly carry on fixing the turnstile now? I, uh, Yes, of course. That trip was, um, uh, 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 Henry, I'd like to speak to you. And Derek and Paggy. Can we meet in the programme hut? A little later, as the group assembled in the hut, Derek noticed that the programme for that afternoon's final game against Darlington had already arrived. The boy went over to the open window and shouted, Programme's in! But no one came running. It had been that kind of season. While the others sat at the table, the alderman, in his robes, stood at one end of it. He began. I wish to apologise to you all. I've been gravely disrespectful to the chairman of the team we all support. It was wrong of me. Selfish, arrogant and wrong. Henry was relieved to hear this. His own desire to see the chairman leave the club was a rational response to the historical document he discovered at the 1974 gig. He'd never shared the alderman's vitriol for Elton John. His old friend's apology felt like a load being lifted. The alderman continued, From now on, I shall have an open mind. I shan't write off anyone because of my own deep-seated prejudices. Ah, call yourself a football fan, old boy? Henry wanted to lighten the mood for his old friend, but the alderman was too serious about making his apology to pick up on the interjection. To my shame, ever since I died, I've never wanted anyone running the club to become a greater benefactor than I was. As a result, I've denigrated and insulted Elton John purely to try and feel better about myself. But that won't happen anymore. I'm going to support the club wholeheartedly, even if there are aspects of a new benefactor that aren't to my personal tastes. Like a gorgeous silk hornet costume, you mean? Or tiny yellow pom-poms? Henry William, please. So, from now on, before passing judgment, I'll wait to see what Elton John can do for this club. 
We can all fantasise about what the future may hold for Watford, but only Elton John is in a position to make an amazing future a reality. Derek was itching to ask a question. He had his hand raised. Please, your worshipfulness, sir. So, do you now think that what we saw today could actually be the future? Watford actually getting into Europe, your worshipfulness, sir? The alderman thought about this for a moment. He raised his eyebrows and smiled at the idea. Then his eyebrows lowered themselves as he remembered the reality of Watford in 1977. Well, I'd need to see a little more from Elton John to believe in it. What kind of thing, your worshipfulness, sir? All along, I've wanted to see something visionary. Henry raised his hand too. The alderman guessed what might be coming. He was feeling more his old self now, more the prince of good fellows. So he smiled and said, And no, Henry, when I say visionary, I don't mean a spacesuit paired with a sumptuous fur stole and heart-shaped glasses. The others laughed. But if that's what he's wearing when he reveals his aspirations for the club, that's fine by me. Come on, let's take a few copies of the new programme and go and see if Skilly has fixed the turnstile yet. The alderman, Henry, Derrick and Paggy, watched as Skilly Williams wiped his huge, dexterous hands on his trouser legs. The turnstile should be fine now. Freddy's just gone through to check. Paggy said, there's bound to be something else wrong. We've seen random, we've seen ancient, we've seen fantasy. The alderman said, Stay positive, Faggy. Like many people before me, I trust the safe hands of Skilly Williams. I'm confident that what we'll see will be the present day. Great, so we'll see Arthur Orsfield lumbering around at centre-half instead of centre-forward because his legs have gone. We'll see Keith Pritchett's right foot failing to reach the same level of education as his left. It'll be nothing like Derek's fantasy. We'll be watching the same old rubbish until 1983 and beyond. Henry was feeling bullish after the alderman's speech in the hut. But today feels like it could be a new beginning. For Hornet Heaven, with amended turnstile, and for Watford Football Club, with this game against Darlington. It feels like the start of the future. What a load of twat. It's a meaningless game. The last of the season. There's nothing at stake. A moment later, Freddy Sargent appeared from the ancient turnstile. He had a huge smile on his face. He announced, Ornit Evan is working again. He rushed up to Skilly and planted a huge bristly kiss on the former goalkeeper's forehead, relieved that, by putting a capable pair of hands to work on the job, he'd finally atoned for all the trouble he'd caused over the last two days.
we're back to normal. But that's exactly what we don't want. This season, normal is dismal. The older man stepped forward and said, Thank you, Freddy. You've done us proud by getting us out of our fix. You've proved why you're a man with an OBE, and I'm not. Freddy was amazed to receive such praise from Alderman Ralph Thorpe, J.P. But he knew he didn't deserve it, because he'd caused the problem himself in the first place. Yes, he'd achieved what he'd set out to achieve, humbling the Alderman a little, but he wished he hadn't gone this way about it. Freddy headed back up Occupation Road with Skilly, leaving the group to go through the turnstile with their programmes for the Darlington game. He heard Derek say, Come on, everybody! Let's see how 1976-77 ends! The game on the other side of the ancient turnstile was definitely the final game of the 1976-77 season because the 6,000 fans who'd bothered turning up were showing no sign of excitement, celebration or anticipation. The atmosphere was as flat as Skilly Williams's cap. The contingent from Hornet Heaven went and sat in the main stand extension, where there were plenty of empty seats. Down on the pitch, a presentation was taking place. Keith Mercer was receiving the Player of the Season trophy from Elton John. But the real-world crowd hardly seemed to be paying attention. The strongest emotional response came when someone stifled a yawn and apologised. Henry said, Well... This is all a bit underwhelming. The alderman replied, You may say that, Henry William, but Elton John's down there, and I'm not saying anything against him. This is the new me. Well, I hope this isn't the new Elton John. I adore the way his lapels reach all the way out to his shoulders, but the rest of his suit is awfully plain. The alderman couldn't help thinking that this was a good sign. Maybe Elton John was thinking less about his wardrobe and more about Watford's future. The former mayor carried on watching as the ceremony on the pitch was brought to a close. Unexpectedly, there was one final presentation. Someone had carried onto the pitch something thin and quite large, perhaps three feet by three feet square. It was being presented to Elton John. The alderman was curious, but he couldn't quite see what this object was. He decided to take a closer look. He walked down through the stand, his robes flowing behind him, and went onto the pitch. As he approached, he heard the man making the presentation, Oliver Phillips from the Watford Observer, explaining what the object was. It was a work of art, apparently. It had been painted by his colleague, Terry Chalice, to depict, allegorically, Elton John's ambition for the club. The alderman was excited. Elton John's ambition was exactly what he'd been wanting to know. He ran up to Ollie Phillips. But when he got there, he saw that the frame Ollie was holding contained nothing but a large blank square. The alderman felt all his old prejudices returning. 
Ha! Of course it's bloody blank. Elton John has no ambition whatsoever, and the local paper is calling him out on it in front of the Watford public. The alderman cursed himself. His subconscious must have deceived him by creating a fantasy in which the name of Sir Elton John was on a stand in a magnificent stadium hosting a game against Liverpool. But then, Ollie Phillips turned the frame around. The alderman had been looking at the back. The front was a busy, colourful tableau. The alderman realised he'd made a mistake. He stopped his negative thoughts and moved in for a closer look. What he saw was that Terry Chalice had captured the chairman's ambition for the club by depicting Elton astride a giant airborne hornet, pointing the way forward. But it was the detail that drew the alderman's attention. A player was shown emerging from a mire. Ahead of him was a new stand with two tiers and an undulating roof. In the distance was the Eiffel Tower, presumably denoting Europe. And the player's destination was a summit occupied by the liver bird of Liverpool. The alderman stopped breathing. He couldn't believe what he was seeing. This was exactly what he'd seen in the two fantasies, Derek's and his own. Elton John's ambition was exactly what the alderman had visited earlier today. The alderman started breathing again, but only as gasps. This couldn't be coincidence, he thought to himself. What he'd seen must actually be the future. The painting wasn't only a representation of Elton's vision. It was a prophecy. A 100% accurate prophecy of what would happen. His eyes filled with tears. His gasps turned into sobs. This was what was going to happen to his club within six years. He sank to his knees as Ollie Phillips handed the painting to Elton John, the man who would make it all come true. Elton John was going to propel this club from the doldrums to the very top in just six seasons. Through his tears, the alderman found himself laughing. Oh, <laughs> I... Bloody love you, Elton John. <laughs> I bloody love you, Elton Hercules Bloody John. The alderman made his way back into the stand to rejoin the others. He was bursting to tell them the news that what they'd all seen earlier had been the future, not a fantasy. But then he stopped to think. Wouldn't telling them spoil the wonderful experience they were about to have over the next six years? Wouldn't it be better if, like Watford fans in the real world, they watched the extraordinary story unfold gradually, step 
by amazing step. When he arrived back at the seats, Derek asked him, What did you see, your worshipfulness, sir? Anything promising? The alderman quelled the excitement he was feeling inside and said, Nothing concrete, young man. Right, so our great future ain't starting today against Darlington after all, the alderman shrugged. I'm afraid I couldn't say, Peggy. The alderman glanced down the row along the faces of his companions. Henry, Derek and Paggy were looking bored. He particularly focused on the face of his old friend Henry, who'd spent so long totally disillusioned this season. The alderman tried to picture Henry's face exactly six years into the future from today on May the 14th, 1983, when Watford becoming runners-up in the top division would prove not to be a fantasy. The alderman imagined Henry's pure and utter elation. It brought more tears to his eyes. Henry looked up and asked, Goodness, are you all right, old son? The alderman dismissed Henry's concerns and sat down. As he waited for kickoff, he tried to let it sink in that very soon he'd no longer be the club's greatest ever benefactor. Elton John would take his place, and Alderman Ralph Thorpe would become a distant footnote in history. It would be hard to take, but it would be worth it. As recompense, he'd see his club enjoy one of the greatest and swiftest transformations in football history. He needed to prepare himself for this altered status, though. For years, he'd behaved as if he were the most important man in Watford's history. But from today, he'd need to adapt. Fast. But how? Suddenly, a thought struck him. He stood up. Henry asked again, Are you sure you're all right, old thing? The alderman hesitated before answering. With his newfound knowledge, he was going to have to spend the next six years being very careful what he did and said. He bluffed. I, um, uh, well, it's a warm day. I think I may have overheated a little. The alderman slid his arms out of his mayoral gown. He lifted off the robes completely. He removed the chain of office from around his neck. Derek squeaked. Crikey, your worshipfulness, sir. What are you doing? The alderman folded his fur-trimmed robes. Carefully, he placed them, along with his chain of office, beneath his seat. He'd leave them here, at this game he decided. He had no further use for them. He said to Derek, Call me Ralph, young man. At three o'clock, on May the 14th, 1977, Ralph Thorpe, an ordinary man, not an older man, settled in for the match. During the first half, he spent a lot of time gazing at the real-world fans around the stadium. Unlike him, they had no idea that Luther Blissett's reappearance in the starting lineup that day was a secret signal 
of a glorious future. Ralph smiled as he anticipated their happiness. He felt love for his fellow fans, for the way they'd soon be paid back, unimaginably handsomely, for the years of loyalty during the lean years. When half-time arrived, Ralph stayed in his seat and surveyed the ramshackle ground, enjoying his private knowledge of the magnificent stadium it would become. He felt as though he were in a daze of happiness. After a while, he became aware of the music that was playing over the tannoy. He didn't know the music was written by Elton John. He didn't know it was called Your Song. But its rhythms were familiar, and its uplifting nature brought a broad, contented smile to his face, lifting his moustache at both ends. After a while, his old friend Henry touched him on the shoulder and asked, I say, old chum, it's good to see you happy, but I don't get why. You can't be thinking about the current state of our club. What are you thinking? Ralph leaned back further in his seat and smiled even more broadly. He was recalling what he'd seen on the back wall of the Sir Elton John stand in 2015. He said knowingly, How wonderful life is while Elton's in the world. End of episode four. The end of series seven. The next episode of Hornet Heaven will be series eight, episode one.